Hi, and welcome to Chasing Squirrels podcast. On this episode, I'm chatting with Derek Schellenberg. And uh, Derek and I first met probably about 10 years ago. We were both working summer school. He was teaching some English courses, and I was the librarian. Now, the librarian's job was a little bit more than monitoring the library. There was also tech support. There was also uh, special education resourcing. And at the time as well, every once in a while, I would help out with the administrators in contacting parents and connecting with students. So here's me working in the library. And part of working in the library was setting up a schedule so that the summer school teachers could sign it out for classroom tasks. And, you know, I noticed Derek was a fairly regular user of the library computer lab, which, you know, to my untrained eye, or I guess let's say naive as well, I, I just thought to myself, well, you know, he has a lot of tasks where the students have to type something up. And, you know, I'll have to forgive myself. Why wouldn't I think that? After all, he was teaching an English course. What I couldn't see was the course design from inside out, and I really didn't have a full appreciation of the craft that Derek was setting up until I started following him on Twitter and seeing his posts about his lesson planning and how collaborative and how much choice was built into it. And if I even go so far as to say the framework for modern learning that he was developing even during the summer school session. We get into that and the challenges of working into one-to-one school, authentic task, and even authentic task assessment in this combo. It was really great to be able to sit down with him and get beyond the 140 characters and get inside his teaching style. I hope you enjoyed the episode. All right. Hello, Derek. Welcome to Chasing Squirrels. Hey, Chris. Glad to be here. Fantastic. Um, so happy. I mentioned before we hit the tape that you can make time for this. Summertime is precious, and grabbing a podcast or two is always a bit of a challenge, so I really, really appreciate you making some time to chat with me. It's my pleasure. Looking forward to it. Cool, man. So the um, I'll, I'll do the just quick, quick backstory to Chasing Squirrels. So the whole concept behind the title is just around the, the things that, that were kind of running after, the things that were trying to uh, grab in order to engage our students, uh, connect ourselves to our own teaching practice. And, you know, for better, for worse, every once in a while we get a handle on it. Sometimes it gets just beyond our reach. The, the original title comes from uh, my dog actually grabbed a squirrel off a tree. <laughs> one time and uh yeah i know hey like it, hey who who doesn't want to try and do that um but it was pretty fascinating because what what stuck with me from that story was the fact that uh the didn't the squirrel and my dog had no clue what to do in that moment um it was such a surprise to my dog and i'm sure the squirrel was like well this is different um and it it just kind of it's one of those strange memories that sits in the back back of my mind and uh, when I thought about doing a podcast, I thought I'd just throw that down as a title. Could you shape out or shake out a little bit the uh, your origin story? So I kind of I, I like I like to kind of you know play with this a little bit on the front end, just as how um how teaching how did teaching come to you, or did you come to it? What brought you into uh, into this career? Absolutely. Um, so basically, I think. Where it started was, I guess, in high school, going through helping, you know, peers and that sort of stuff in terms of navigating school at the point as I was trying to do the same thing. Very excited and proud, put it on my resume all the time that I was voted most likely to be a teacher. Um, Very important. And then went off to university, got an English degree. At the end of the third, fourth year, sitting there going, what am I going to do with this? leaning towards teaching, but still not sure. Started traveling, did four months, BC, Hong Kong, Australia. It was amazing. Came back, was so sad, so sad that the traveling had ended, and went off to Teachers College in the States. It was amazing. 
it was the total opposite of my university experience in Ontario in terms of 1,200 kids in residence at Western, 1,200 kids in total at this little campus in the United States. Wow. And I was lucky enough to convince them because I knew that if I was going to be a teacher, I wanted to work in York Region, that I could do my practicum placements back in YDSB. So they were good enough to help out. At that point, it was two months per school. So you're really connected. And, and I was lucky in that at both schools, it was the head of the English department, which they were both amazing. And then there just weren't any jobs. Finished up, teacher's college, no jobs. Went to South Korea for two years. Taught at a hogwan, taught English. And when I say English, I, I really mean ESL. And then someone looked at me and said, you've actually got a teaching degree. You should be teaching something other than a Korean hogwan. So I went and taught at the college for a little while in Seoul, which was great. Um, and then came back and came back to an LTO. It was at one of the two schools that I'd done my placement in. And it was an amazing experience. And then I moved to a school in Aurora where my former soccer coach hired me and it was conditional in, in his mind that I coached both the soccer teams and uh, and that was fine with me I was just excited to have a job stayed there for three years and then I moved to the school I'm currently at where I've been for about 15 years and have transitioned from English ESL English literacy now English and head of the department and about halfway through my time at the school um, we transitioned to what we called blended learning, which is now known more as BYOD or a one-to-one -one school. That's my wow. origin story. I love it. It's, you know, cause it's it part my whole, we talked a little bit just before we hit the record about where we first met and, and, you know, it, it's, we met in summer school and it's, it's always interesting that it's such a, we, um, we were teaching it, not taking it. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> that would be awesome too, though. Yeah, did you ever take summer school? Did I never did. Neither did I. Were you? Was it back in the day um, where you could be exempted from exams? Yeah. Is, is that is it Aurora so yeah, High? Yeah. I remember this too. So I went to I went to high school in in Oshawa, and uh, there was every, every year math was my um, that was my nemesis, true nemesis, and I never made it to the uh, exemption line. And I always had to write the exam and I missed out on two family vacations because of it. Yikes. Yeah. Just, you know, uh, I love math now. I, I really do. No bone to pick with math, but that's just, it's funny eh? that, and I, and I, and it wouldn't matter because when I, the reason starting this is that even to take summer school wouldn't have helped me because I still missed out on the, <laughs> on the family vacation. That only reinforced it. So yes. it was me sadly sitting at my grandmother's house for two weeks while my family was in Florida. I would be sad. I, it would be. I digress, though. So the um, so us both working in summer school, and it's it's interesting because that's a real bit of a salad. You get teachers from all over the place, and I can remember I can remember w watching you. I was uh, doing the librarian job, so it's a little blending of um, tech and running the library and spec ed and working with the administrators. And I can remember you working in the library and uh, you using the full bank of computers. And at the time, I really didn't I didn't have a sense of. I saw you using computers, but we see everybody using computers. And I can't help but think now, because you, you know, you'd mentioned the, the BYOD and, and the, the modern learning frame that, cause this is, that's almost, that's about eight or nine years ago when we first met. So you were kind of doing stuff in your summer school that on the, on the front end looked like teacher class using computers. How was it different though? What is it you were doing on the inside there that really I wouldn't have picked up on just by watching you? Yeah, I think, um, and I think English is always, not maybe not always, but certainly where I've taught, it's had this emphasis on the process. And I think that's really important to sort of, not necessarily to differentiate, but to acknowledge that the process and the product, although they're connected, we need to spend more time on the process. And, and so I think what I assume you were seeing is not only um, myself interacting with the kids in terms of giving them feedback orally, giving them feedback digitally, all that sort of stuff, but to also put the kids in the position of 
editing each other's work, giving feedback electronically, that sort of thing. And then I think it makes them so much more effective when they go back to their own work in terms of A, they've taken a break and B, they've got fresh eyes when they go back to their own. And so with us, we've really tried to emphasize, and when I say us, I mean the English department that I work in, we've mm -hmm. really tried to emphasize that the process, we, we try to weigh it for some of our assignments, half of the actual assignment is what you did in the process. And I'm almost to the point now where I wonder if all feedback or almost all feedback shouldn't occur before the final product comes in because what's the point afterwards? Yes, we want to tell them how they did after their presentation and you know interact with them and that's fantastic, but the really valuable part of the feedback must occur before the product gets submitted. Mm -hmm. I had uh, in talking with uh, another guest, his language was avoiding feedback as a post uh, postmortem. Mm. So, and I thought that's, it's pretty powerful because I know for me, I'll throw it down. Um, I'm still working on shifting feedback as a, as an outcome, by the way, you know, you had some spelling mistakes or by the way, your ideas didn't connect front to back and existing in that it's like real time delivery, right? Noticing it as it's happening and being able to play um, a more active role in the middle somewhere along the path. Yeah, my, my problem is if I'm teaching three classes a semester and I have 90 students and I have, you know, as we often like multiple sections of the same class, you're mm -hmm. coming in with 60, potentially 90 assignments at a time. How fast am I going to be at giving feedback after they all come in mm -hmm. rather than, you know, conferencing with kids, giving it um, when they can actually make uh, a difference? But I think the other thing is, at least in our curriculum, metacognition plays this huge part yeah. so i think again maybe sort of this elements of metacognition need to happen you know when they first decide the topic when they first choose the text when they first come up with their inquiry questions as opposed to he's already given me a mark or i've already completed the presentation now i'm going to do the reflection we've already right. moved on to the next unit at that point yeah I there's there's um there's sort of like those those percentages as far as you know what 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 I I get I get I get in this mindset sometimes where I look at my course design and I think how do I really reasonably increase the um frequency with which a student can play with expectations multiple times so that it's not just within unit one, you have specific expectations and then they don't encounter, you know, a reflection of those expectations until your culminating activity or maybe the exam. And I'm still in the, in the developmental stage of offloading, not my, not my supportive feedback that as let's say the person that's directly connected to curriculum. So that the guide, if you will, mm. but how do I get the students connecting with each other and motivating them to play an active role. And I'm still, I'm still messing with that, but sometimes it's, I'm trying to find provocative moments where a student would feel like kind of getting, getting that the activity value up, finding different things, more authentic things, more real time based things so that a, one kid would want to comment on another, another kid's uh, work. Let's say, what's your, um what's your position on that? How is it that, uh, how, is, how do you go about engaging the students in the feedback to each other that isn't triangulated back to you right away? Right. I think there's sort of, as you're talking, I'm thinking about multiple examples in different courses that I'm teaching. Mm -hmm. And I think the worst example is I'm teaching e-learning. I've taught it three or four years. It's grade 12 university English. Half the students go to my school. Half of them are scattered throughout York region. Mm -hmm. And part of the course, and it just changed this year, causing me to have to revamp everything, which is fantastic. But um, part of it is fantastic in that the students are now individually blogging. And to me, that is sort of authentic and they are sort of interacting with each other in, and 
the world in sort of a more open environment, which, you know, you have to be careful about, but I think it's fantastic. But the, the negative example is that within the LMS, Learning Management System that we use, D2L, they engage in these, these discussions, in these forums, and they're somewhat robotic. And they, you know, Mr. Schellenberg asks for X, they give me X plus, and then they wait for each other to sort of post their major responses, and then they're in there, and they do everything that I ask for, and it's compliance. And it's not, I mean, they get amazing, you know, quality work, that sort of thing, but I don't think it's what we're sort of aiming for. But when I see the best examples are things like you've, you've got an assignment, it's a group assignment, they're all going to get marked individually, but they're all contributing to whatever they're doing, whether it's a seminar or whatever. And yes, there are steps along the way that get formally evaluated and some of them get feedback from me, but when they're actually working together and pushing each other and making demands of each other, and that's none of that is necessarily explicitly stated in the assignment or the rubric or the whatever, that to me is what's fantastic. When it's the stuff that you sort of don't explicitly ask for, but it's been created naturally from what you're working towards, I think that's sort of the gold. When that happens, I just love to step back and sort of watch it. It's amazing. Yeah, it's that it's it's a little bit of that um relational alchemy. It's you know, you've hit that kind of sweet spot between this is a pretty good task or or um assembly of tasks and we've got good rapport and the students look at this is a reflection of their connection to each other and then they also understand what they have to do there's a whole lot of great stuff that's kind of clicking off there at the same time mm-hmm. for sure i someone asked me once about so back in the day one of the courses that i i taught at my specialty before i guess well when i came to teaching i came as a tech teacher i was doing hospitality and I was fortunate because on one hand, the hospitality is a very real looking thing. There's nothing that's, if you're doing hospitality, there's, there's a cerebral part to it, but you can actually see that you're, you're cutting vegetables or you're mixing a sauce or you're roasting something. There's, there's a tactile, kinesthetic, obvious type of task. And one of the, one of the biggest challenges for me was that when students got into that that mode where they were just like you said it was it was beautiful to watch not jumping in too soon and making it all of a sudden a a classroom task and you know i i had a few teachers say well yeah you can talk about authentic kind of tasks because they're learning to cook and i always took that a bit of like but isn't that something that we're all kind of driving towards? We're all trying to get, find that that thing that isn't locked up in a textbook or kind of bound to a single note. Where do you find your sweet spot in developing those authentic tasks? Do you have one, one or two you're thinking, yeah, like that one was just, that was a really good start or a good frame? Yeah, no, I hear where you're going, going to and coming from in terms of the whole hospitality thing. And I think... <sighs> You know, if if I was a hospitality teacher and somebody said, you know, something like that to me, I, you know, are you sitting there saying, is it easier for me or what are you implying or that sort of thing? I think um, that I think the challenge for, you know, English or the challenge for math or the challenge for these different courses is, you know, you want the kid, the student, the learner to think, you know, as a writer or as a mathematician or as mm-hmm. a presenter or as a whatever. And I think ideally you set them up with opportunities where they can step into that role. And the more authentic they are, the better. Like what I love is we just got a new um, head of music at our school a couple years mm-hmm. ago. And every opportunity he gets those students are performing in front of Mm -hmm. conferences, in front of the school, any information night. They are always there. And it's so much so that they are performing on their own. They're setting up their own little gigs where they do it at a cafe and they do it here and they do it there. And, um, And it's just, I think if you get the ball rolling, 
then at, at some point it's you get out of the way and you let yeah. it happen and it's beautiful. And I, I could see that with, you know, hospitality and I can see that with things like English, but I think it requires a little bit of thought in terms of the problem that we're finding and trying to shift away from is the whole idea of most of our assignments are one size fits all in terms of demonstrating your learning. We're all going to do an essay here. We're all going to do a seminar there. We're all going to do a speech here. And I think you've got to look at your course and say, these are the must haves. These are the, these are the things that we're going to do for sure. And, and maybe that's half. And the other half is going to be, they're going to choose the best way to demonstrate learning. They're maybe they get to choose the curriculum expectations they're going to demonstrate learning of you know, at the, at the end or in the middle of each of these units that you have. I think that's where, you know, we're hoping our, as an English department that we're shifting to, at least with half of our work that we do, the students are determining um, what they do. It's, it's such a huge challenge, eh? It, it really is. Someone, um, someone a lot smarter than me in this, in this process, they, they put together um, authentic task and then impossible assessment. And I, th I think what they were suggesting, and it's funny because you're, you're right. When people, when people noticed, I had, I, I did hospitality the same way. Like we would be, we would be, if, if we, when we learned how to make bread, then we were taking orders from the school who wants fresh bed. We're going to pick it up after school. And then, you know, eventually that got to a point where some of the students were just coming in on their lunch break, just to set up the doughs and get ready f to make bread. So I get that sort of automaticity. They're they're just they're just like existing so comfortably inside the curriculum that um, the challenge then is, is is making sure that you're sort of moving through curriculum and not kind of like stalling on a on a sweet spot. Because I was always I just want to keep making bread, sir. Can I keep making? I'm like, well, we got to make some soup too. So we got to figure that out. But that authentic task, you know, connected with impossible assessment. Is uh, was something that I was challenged by, and because you can sort of imagine yourself into a really cool, culminating outcome, then how do you bring the little moments in it of saying, okay, it's going to eventually result in some sort of a grade? What is it that I'm seeing here? I like what you said about process, though, because that that would strike me as the access point. Because yeah. I, what I, are you thinking? I th I think it could. I mean. I saw, you know, we talked before and you sent me some of your notes and that beautiful sort of picture with some of the ideas that we're talking about. And the whole term impossible assessment, like, you know, I, I get the emphasis that everybody's placing on, you know, authenticity and I think it's fantastic. To me, I reject the idea of an assessment being impossible. Okay. You know what I mean? I don't even, like... Okay, to me, any problem, we can, we can figure it out. We can sit down and figure it, whether it's me and my, my course team of teachers or me and the students, even better, right? We can figure it out. So to me, like, why can't it be that, you know, again, they decide we're not just going to make bread. We're going to sell bread. We're going to set up a little business model. We're going to do a little cross-curricular thing and you know, Mr. Clough, we've got uh, 15 overall expectations that we got to hit. I think that I'm going to hit these six, and here's how. Whereas little Johnny over there is saying, you know what? I've already hit three of those. You gave me, you know, I, I demonstrated learning of those already. I'm going to hit these three for that. And they need to shift the problem from you to them. How are you going to demonstrate learning of that? What are you mm -hmm. going to do? Are you going to make a flyer? Are you going to, you know, put an announcement on? Are you going to present to the school? What, what, what's going to happen? You know, and I think to me, yeah, I, I think it's anything is not anything, but of course, you know, things are possible. And I think we just need to sort of sit down and figure out, you know, these are the curriculum expectations. Where am I hitting them? And why can't I have multiple opportunities to demonstrate learning of each of them? You know, until I demonstrate a level of success that I'm happy with. I agree. 
I think that's the for me that becomes the 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 persistent legwork because part of it is I do feel I feel obligated. So if I say to a student, you're going to make bread, I'll just keep harping on this. If you're going to make bread, um, I think that there's a whole lot of technical stuff that I could look at. Mm. But I also feel like I, I need the, the child to come away with a competency in making something. They, I want them to feel as if this is not just an activity that works because they did it inside of a classroom. So when I think about authenticity, I automatically want whatever the, the student does inside the classroom to have some real-time um, connection. And that's what I'm, I, I'm just, I, I agree with you completely. I guess just part of my challenge as I've, <laughs> I don't have the luxury of teaching the hospitality anymore. Right. I'm now um, teaching English, I'm teaching math. The students that I work with, each one brings a new course to me. So I find that I'm completely decentered from truly having mastery over the content that I am often co-learning with the student as we go. So I find myself now really scrutinizing process because that's kind of where I am. And it's interesting when you flip that, I focused on outcome because I had to make bread in my previous life. And it's a real kind of mental paradigm shift to, you know, if you have a math degree and you're coming in and teaching math, I think you have to, you know, some people might say unlearn, but getting to the learning strategist part of being a math teacher or any, you know, whatever your degree is, I think that's the path of modern learning that we're all being kind of jostled by right now. Yeah, no, I, and I, I mean, I think you've got um, different challenges than someone else who's in, you know, classroom X teaching course Y with, you know, Z number of students. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, there's an, there's an opportunity there in terms of with what I'm assuming is a smaller class size yep. and basically individualized programming is that, you know, you can play with how they're going to demonstrate learning how they're going to share and make connections, let's say, beyond the classroom, maybe with elements of the school, so they feel sort of somewhat integrated, and then maybe even beyond the school, right? But I think, um, it, yeah, I mean, I think the challenge is looking at it as, you know, oh my goodness, I've got, you know, seven different courses that I need to be somewhat competent in to help these kids navigate them to this opportunity piece of, as you said, we're going to be co-learners, you know, mm -hmm. we're going to figure this out together. Like my poor wife is, is got the, you know, our oldest son is heading towards the IB program at a specific school and you know, it's summer, but there's lots of learning happening in the household as we're doing math and French and science and all this sort of stuff. Wow. And, um, we're getting ready. So, I think she may be enrolling in the same course as him. I don't know. We'll see, we'll see what happens. She's almost ready. So maybe by She's September. Almost, that's awesome. She's ready for IV. That's yeah. the competition. Just one last touch on the one-to-one. -one. Yes. The, the idea of the one-to-one -one school. Um, you know, on the outside, when I had heard that the school was getting, you know, each student was going to be working off their own piece of technology, me on the outside in another school, I'm like, hey, I want a piece of technology too. So I had a very sort of thin understanding of what was actually shifting, like the gravity of, of the shift that was happening within our school board. Mm. On the inside, what is it that you think, what, what, what was maybe hard to measure? Did you have any sense of what any of the misconception about what was going on with that one-to-one? -one? As in me kind of thinking at another school, geez, I wish I had a laptop. Was that a common starter? How did people approach you about what was going on at your school? Well, I think there's multiple aspects to sort of respond to. So one was the teachers at the school were sold on the program mm -hmm. because it was shiny, right? Okay. You, yeah. you, you're going to get technology. You're going to have LCD projectors in every room. You're going to have smart boards. And we have smart boards in almost every room. And, um, and we, you know, you show movies on them. 
And um, so there was all this sort of initial technology. And I think what people sort of, you know, what hit after a while was things like fear, things like challenges in terms of time. So now you've layered, you know, you've got all these different teachers in your school and some of them are at this end of their career. I got three to five years left. Some of them are just starting. So they're treading water and they're looking for support in different sort of ways they can access it in the school. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then you've got people sort of in the middle who are, you know, reasonably comfortable and they're determining on a case by case individual basis, how they're going to respond to this, if they're going to respond to this, what does it mean to their department? You know, so I think, I mean, one of the challenges is that, you know, when we got blinds in our school, the blinds that were by the door to the hall all closed, right? In mm -hmm. terms of, and I don't think this is untrue of any school, you're, the, the thing with teaching is you're often intentionally um, secluded, autonomous, etc. So you've right. got 80, 90 people doing their interpretation of one-to-one -one or not. And, and I think for some of us that, you know, looked at it as amazing, as an opportunity, as a chance to do some new learning, as an opportunity to leverage things, um, you're sitting there going, you want there to be positive pressure on the group to move forward. You know, right. and I think as different people in our school have moved into, you know, consulting roles and DLRT roles and this sort of thing and come back and helped and stuff, you, you always get this sort of message that there are no leaps in terms of, a, you know, a teacher is here and I want to help them move to 10 steps ahead. Well, first they have to move one step ahead. Yeah, and that, totally. may, and that may be this year or this semester or whatever. You can't, there's no teleporting them way ahead where they suddenly realize, oh, yes, I know how to use all Google Apps all of a sudden. And I, I'm one with my LMS and I now have a Google site and a Twitter feed in the class. You know, there's no, that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing, which is totally a different coin that you've sort of hinted at, is when we were initially, you know, three, four years into it. We had done a lot of learning. We're trying to share both within the school and outside of the school. One of the deal breakers sometimes in terms of having a conversation or presenting on a session or whatever was starting by saying we're at a one-to-one -one school because that there was an immediate closing down of I won't be able to do this. I won't so the, be able to... So the branding, just the branding alone kind of closed... Yeah. Closed the door. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I mean, we, we taught at Denison and the head at Denison, you know, years before we went down the whole blended learning road, he had gotten all his grade 12 students. They were bringing their laptops in five, 10 years ago, know, you know? Right? So, so I think, you know, some people have sort of gone down the road early, but I think you can't underestimate a fear and b paralysis and see the, the fact that teachers have got so much to do already. When you add a layer of, I need to know technology, and guess what? Technology is going to evolve every couple of months. I know. And every time I look at a new app, you know, I, last year I did a couple summer institutes for OTF. Every time I look at a new app, it's evolved. You know, oh, wow. And, and you're learning with the people that you're, you know, that you're helping through this different technology. It's like, wow, that, I couldn't, it couldn't do that last time I used it. Yeah, the, that the, the, the changing, the sort of the changing, sometimes, you know, I call them the ice flows. You sort of get that sense like, okay, I got both feet nice and secure. And then you get this new thing and it's, it can be, it can be as simple as, as, you know, there's a new area of the app that gets unlocked or it can be initiative driven where, you know, you sort of wrestle a little bit more as to how do I get these different silos to kind of all work together because I can feel how this initiative is sort of pushing me in this direction. Um, I, I wanted to throw at you the, the provocation of, 
well, let me backstory this first. So it's that concept about how core courses are changing a little bit. Now, this is me observing. I have no data other than just looking at some of the signals out there. So I'm going to stitch together a very, let's say it could be a weak narrative, but it might be an interesting conversation. I was in a conversation with, um, with a math guy online and he was kind of off the cuff mentioning how English now, the, the idea of English as a course has evolved and it's, it's seen as kind of being spread through other elements now. It's not as straightforward as, um, let's say, writing an essay is the best end game for an English course. And, you know, I was sort of, this is, so this is a math guy talking about English. I'm a, I'm a nowhere man, sort of just touching on a bunch of different things. So I thought to him, I said, yeah, you know what? It's sort of like the same thing with math. And right away I get a bunch of, you know, you put that into a, a Twitter chat and you get a whole bunch of people kind of jumping on it. And, and there's like, explain your thinking. I'm like, well, you know, if you say, you know, we can talk about blogging and podcasting and these other sort of, I don't even want to call them new media anymore, but these other forms of media that are, have English tools embedded i said how do you think about you know robotics and maker and uh coding and that you know can we safely say yeah i remember math you know i remember when math was was just the in-class experience are these the out-of-the-box extensions and you know there was a lot of twitter silence on there <laughs> and and i but i wonder you know is there is there is there a shift happening within English or let's say within your I have to put it within your context where English math science are a little bit more fluid in the core now they're not the center hub again kind of a thin narrative but what no. are you getting from that yeah no I I like it I like where you're going with it I mean um People have been talking about, you know, English and what is English becoming or has become or that sort of thing for a while. And I'm thinking about a couple things. One, my school was designed, I don't know about yours, but my school was designed to be in pots. And okay. so it was supposed to be, and this school is like 17 years old now. And it was designed so that there was an English and a math person and a history person and a geography person all in the same workroom. And from day one, that never happened. English claimed this section and geography claimed that section and away they went. And so that's thought one. And thought two was that when I first went into one of the schools, I think it was Millican, to do my practicum, they had designed this amazing, you know, let's say it was one month unit and it hit four subject areas. And it was English, and it was history, and it was um, art, and it was something else which I can't remember. And it was focused on a specific time period, right? And so everything that they did was connected to these different courses, you know? Or, and, and maybe even that's the wrong way that we should be thinking about it. Maybe we should be thinking about it as, you know, we're teaching and I'm going to have aspects of math and English and geography and history and et cetera, hospitality, all in there at the same time. And wouldn't that be so much more authentic? But I think, A, I've seen no sort of initiative by anybody in terms of, of you know, let's make this change or let's experiment with this or whatever. And I was thinking in terms of opportunity, Where's the opportunity to try this to see if this really works? I know, eh? Yeah. But but to me, there's an answer. It's elementary school. You know, to me, it's like, I mean, I think elementary teachers have challenges in terms of just finding time to A, mark, and B, plan, and C, work with the course team in terms of the amount of time per day. But instead of looking at your day segmented in terms of the one hour of sort of reading and language time and the, the one hour of math time, couldn't you experiment some, and maybe it's being done, couldn't you experiment some of the time where English fades into the background and it becomes something where we're wrestling with a key issue that's contemporary and relevant to the kids and all that sort of thing. So, I mean, for me, getting back to your original question, I think the shift that we've tried to sort of 
see and realize is it's not about knowledge. It's about skills. Mm-hmm. The knowledge is out there. You can access it. You can find it. I'm not going to determine whether you get to go to the university you want because you know the name of the skull Hamlet is holding in his hand. Okay? <laughs> York's not that important. So, but the skill of being able to deconstruct a text or present or a seminar, that's what's important to us. And I think in a lot of cases, that's what we're teaching. We're teaching, I wouldn't call it English. My degree, I think, is English literature and language. Mm-hmm. No, I would call it communication, right? Communication in, how do I process information? Communication out, how do I communicate with other people? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're trying to do, and you could call that literacy, I guess. Um, but it could be, you know, don't tell any of the other English heads this, but it could be embedded, you know, throughout <laughs> other people's courses, absolutely. Yeah, it's um you make me think of phenomenon based courses. And that, you know, you can uh, uh, dude, you're you're you're, you know, sparking a bunch of thoughts, phenomenon based courses. I mean, they, I think a starting point to access that is sort of like your project or your problem based courses. Mm-hmm. Um inquiry driven and yeah. then global goals sort of like just creating gravity to pull you out of the classes. And, you know, um, I had mentioned before uh, Jocelyn Curvin, someone that I spoke to, and she had mentioned that she's a a music teacher Mm. and she often spoke of the importance of making music kind of connected with things other than just music. And I had a short stint of teaching the grade 11 introduction to anthropology, psychology, and sociology course. Mm-hmm. And from the get-go, I, j- I just felt like I had to make that course sticky to other courses. So if, they, if you were studying Hamlet or if you were in a science class or if you were taking careers, you wouldn't help as a student say, oh, crap, Clough was talking about something like this in the anthro course, though. So you start to have these really cool um, wallless conversations where you could have a math student, a science student, or not, sorry, a math learner, a, let's say a science learner, someone that's you know knee deep in art, working on a common phenomenon. So I, I like, and that's just huge. I haven't been in that. I haven't been at that table having that conversation. I I, I haven't. Yeah, I and I mean, I don't know. If, go go ahead. It's a challenge. I think the problem is, well, not the problem. One problem would be, um, you know, I got to defend my turf. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to read some books and some plays, and I need some poetry, and the kids need to do that stuff. And so I think some people come from that place, and I think it's tough because, you know, I see math and science specifically amongst other subjects and they're sitting there going how the heck am i going to get through all this curriculum if i've got this you know integrated you know mega course or you know i'm part of you know whether it's a full four month five month you know i'm working with three other courses or whatever i think there's tons of opportunity but i think for a lot of people it would overwhelm them. You'd have you'd have to see the model. Someone would have to try the model before mm-hmm. some other people could even contemplate sticking their big toe in that that pool because I think it's just too it's too threatening. Yeah, let me let me throw one one challenge to you, and I haven't quite gotten to this answer yet. Is is there anything in particular, anything in particular that? we, we kind of need to break in our system in order, in order to even make the mistake of trying this. <laughs> it's kind of a really clunky question, but what is the thing that we have to be prepared as a, as a fail in order to give this a real shot? Because it's funny. I think that these elements are all around us. There are people doing these type of inquiry lessons. There are, there are teachers that are saying, okay, I'm going to do sort of like this... Um, this IDC kind of a course, I'm going to draw in multiple curricular expectations because at the heart of it, I see this really cool possibility. 
But what do you think needs to be broken? What do we have to be prepared to fail in order to to give this a real good go? Wow. Okay, that is a tough question. Um, I don't know if my answer is relevant to the question that we're talking about here. Okay. But, I mean, the the parts that I'm fixated currently with would Mm -hmm. be um, concept one, mastery learning, in terms of the idea that you and I work and learn at different paces. And the the fact is that if we're both trying to learn how to skateboard, you may learn how to do something in two weeks and it may take me four. And the next thing that would be connected to this mastery learning piece is the whole idea of multiple opportunities to demonstrate learning. And that's Mm -hmm. really where I'd like to get to in terms of, you know, this is the place, school, where that doesn't happen, except for the big you passed the course, you failed the course. You know, right. you don't get multiple opportunities to write that essay, to do that speech, to take that test, whatever your form of assessment might be. And so you're stuck with this, you know, not only are you stuck with the, the 35 or the 82 or the 61, but I don't really get to go back to it. I don't really get to go and sit there and say, um, yeah, I mastered it till I'm amazing. You know, my son, whenever he walks by the piano, whether it's supposedly going to bed or waking up or whatever he's doing, he sits down at it, you know, and he's constantly playing and it drives me nuts because there's never any music in front of him. It's all from his mind, which I both, you know, hugely respect because I have no musical talent whatsoever. And it also drives me mad, but, but he's just doing his thing. He's figuring stuff out till he gets to where he wants to get in terms of learning whatever he's focused on at that point. And I think that that's really tough to do within a system of there are, you know, 85 to 89 days per semester and I have to move through my curriculum. And so to me, that's one thing that I would like to explore how to break that. The whole I'm trapped by time. And I, I, you know, we've had consultants come back to the classroom and they're sitting there going, but Derek, we're not ready to move on to the next thing yet. Or how can you possibly have six assessments? My kids haven't mastered the ability to do the second one yet. How can they be on the third unit? I'm like, well, that's, that's where we, that's where we are. That's the pace that I'm working at with my class. But, uh, so I think mastery, multiple opportunities And then what I'm really hoping is the whole idea, which we've talked before, of kids choosing how they demonstrate the learning and kids choosing what learning they're going to demonstrate for each task. You know, I'd love to get to those places where the responsibility is shifted to them in terms of A, determining the product and having a say in the process, and B, you know, I've mastered X, Y, and Z, can I get an opportunity to show you this? And those are the things that I think are, are interesting to me. Some of them connect to what we're talking about. No, I think they do. Again, they're these pieces that are, I like you, well, you know, you mentioned someone's got to go for it because <laughs> there's a whole bunch of us that have, you know, I think this, it's almost this tacit understanding of what the ingredients are, but we haven't seen the dish haven't seen the dish we haven't seen someone really throw it together and say you know what this is what this is what makes sense i think that's part of what what really motivates me to check out um you know twitter feeds and check out learning communities outside of our school board Mm. it's it's in some ways i feel like fundamental me understanding my own context I, I, I have to see it from outside in and the further i go to sort of include other people's sort of points of view it's funny, it just, it diffuses my own experience a little bit, but it causes certain things to pop, you know, certain things that kind of pop up where you can kind of go, you know, that, that's the whack-a-mole, that's the thing you got to grab. These are the things that are kind of peeking up, um, the reminders of what we can do. You're, um, you ready for the last couple things? Yeah, hit me. Okay, cool. Um, the, you have a, um, you have a quote pinned 
to your Twitter feed. Mm. And it's uh, do, do you know what it is offhand? Do you, uh, can you can you yeah. recall it? It's from it's from Meet the Robinsons. Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, I mean, it's from Walt Disney is what it's really from. But it's at the end of Meet the Robinsons. There's this whole idea, and it connects beautifully to what we're talking about. Of the main character is this, you know, scientist slash experimenter, and the whole lesson throughout the movie is this idea of failure is okay. Failure mm-hmm. means you know you tried, and and that's fantastic. But the wording of the quote currently escapes me. Do you want to? Remember? I grabbed a bite. I grabbed a bite of it. Just at the front end of it, it's around here. We don't look backwards for very long, mm. and. Um, there's definitely more to it, but that was the part that struck me because um, I think I had read somewhere before, or it says something right in there that uh, you had you had connected that to the Robinsons before. Um, but seeing Disney there, I almost wanted to land there for a little bit more on you know on Walt's <laughs> Walt's doorstep, let's say, and that that kind of goes together with for me a concept of curiosity and reflective practice. And there's a there's a fairly I think it's I think it's a I think it's we're beyond the the sort of like seed stage now with educators um, really getting into reflective practice and seeing the connection between um, I don't want to say let's say honoring the past although there is a whole really there's a relevant um, and powerful reason for us to acknowledge both the good stuff and the bad stuff from the past mm. but as a reflective practice. What is it that you're seeing in your own practice that you're kind of like, you know, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's your touchstones. It's your touchstones. That those things that when you, you think about what you've achieved this year, or how long have you been teaching so far? What, what was the total Let's timeline? say about 20 years. So 20 years. That's a, that's a robust career. That, that is a robust career with, with multiple iterations. Your experiences are profound. I, I really dig the experiences and your context that you bring to the classroom. But if we just use this past school year, because that's, you know, let's let's do 20 years of reflection together. That's episode two of our conversation. What's the um, (laughs) what is it that sort of pops up when you think back on this this school year under that concept about, you know, we're trying to move forward. You're trying to where you at on that. So I think as we were talking, I'm just looking at the quote here and it says, I mean, a couple things that it mentions is the idea of the doors. So we're opening up new doors. And I think to me, the whole opening up new doors allows you, it's that element of surprise. It's that element of you're alive. You know what I mean? You're doing something. It's like, this may not work. This may work. That's okay. We're going to do it together. And Mm -hmm. at this point in my career, and I've been lucky enough to be supported both within the department, within admin, and I think, relatively speaking, within York Region, I look at my classrooms as it's an opportunity to experiment in all of them, right? Mm-hmm. And so, which is fantastic. And so, I mean, some of the things that we're doing, um, we, I think a couple of years ago, we were both part of a think tank, right? Yep. YDSB yep. think tank. So one of my buddies who I played soccer with there, Mark Melnick, head of history, He's all into flexible learning. So fantastic. Last year, part of our little collaborative inquiry, different, you know, different departments got to do different things. We were focusing on flexible learning spaces. We got hit with it a couple of times in in PD. And then we're like, let's go. So we went to Middlefield. We went to Markville. We Mm -hmm. got the tour. We got the the rationale, the research, the whole process, which was amazing. And um, so that's one of the things we're doing. We took this big double room. We were, again, lucky enough to have support from our admin. And I think admin in throughout York Region right now are looking for people within each school that are willing to pilot these things in terms of taking a space, blowing it up you know, multiple heights, flexible learning, all this sort of thing. And it's going to be up and ready by September. So, so excited to see that happen. That's fantastic. In terms of what we're talking about, the whole evolution of inquiry, we did a little book study on Trevor McKenzie's book. Yep. Um, and That's the dive, dive into inquiry? Dive into inquiry. And um, 
I loved it. It hit people different ways because I think in our English department, we had done Jeffrey Wilhelm, a couple books by him a couple years ago. So some people felt that they had sort of done some of the learning, but that's right. okay. But I think what we're trying to go toward is from a, a robotic process where it's lockstep and it's one, two, three, four, five, to an organic slash dynamic process where the kids manage the dates and the kids determine when they're, you know, ready to check in with you. And the kids determine what's my, you know, what's my demonstration of, you know, learning with regards to my inquiry question at this stage. Am I going to take a picture of something? Am I going to conduct an interview with somebody? Am I going to access an expert? So I think we're sort of making that shift towards a real authentic inquiry. And I think we also focus a lot on it being fictional text driven. And I think right. we want to move it a little bit as well to let's actually delve into the nonfiction, into the real issues, whatever. And uh, my mind is racing at this point. But the, I mean, another idea that I love is, I don't know if you know Heidi Seawack and the Rockman yes. School. Yes. So, so they've done all this work with integrative thinking. And it's, she teaches elementary school and the amount of rigor in the way that the kids attack a problem and find evidence. And then they, they sort of fire out the evidence into the group and they sort of say, yep, this is, we're going to take this in. We're going to reject that. And they do an essay and talk about authentic, an essay where you're shifting your position or stance on the topic. So not an essay where I've got a predetermined, you know, Hamlet died because he was indecisive. No. Okay. We're going to actually learn. And by the end of the essay, we don't have a finish line. We have more questions that we want to inquire into, you know? So that's, to me, if you talk about an authentic use of an essay, it shouldn't be this closed system. It should be a, here's one cycle of learning. And it actually is a springboard to the next cycle of learning yeah so i mean I love that yeah so that's some of the things we we're doing i think i also went a little nuts i was taking my master's degree so i'm still doing some work on that and then i went to work for tvo and did a little ilc course design so they're shifting their courses from sort of the paper pencil version to the online mm -hmm. and um yeah and then Sort of also, I like to help out with OTF and sort of exploring their little webinar series and presenting here and there. So those were some of the different things that I was trying to, I try to push myself and say yes and get myself out of my comfort zone whenever I can. It's a little tricky. Dude, that's awesome. I am, um, it's you, you, I've, I'm halfway through the opposable mind yeah. right now. So really, really strong introduction. It was recommended to me, um, Heidi I knew of, but I, um, another colleague of mine, her name is uh, Jillian Stembolich. Yes. She's a, an elementary school teacher as well. And we've had a lot of communication back and forth. I met her at uh, a pub PD session okay. and we couldn't even really focus on the questions because her context of learning and what she was sort of sparking up in her students and some of the stuff I was trying to develop within um, my context with, it wasn't multiple tools, it was multiple students that would need multiple different tools depending on their, like each kid is like their own class. Mm. So when she started to talk about the integrative thinking, I thought, this is something, I, I, need, to, I need to look into this more. There's just something that kind of, it struck a deep chord with me. Yeah, no, I, I love the book that you're talking about, Opposable Mind. Heidi actually, like, I don't know, there was a little contest, and so I won a copy of it Good at man. one of our conferences. But um, I think for people who want to sort of dig into integrative thinking, there's both the Rotman School's website, but also Learn, Teach, Lead online yeah. has like 10 or 12 resources, including Heidi, there. So it's definitely enough for people to sort of start wrapping their mind around what it might look like in the classroom. Very cool. So... Here's the last word. Next year. Something that's sparking you up about next year. What's a thing? Next year. Okay. So I guess there's a couple things. So I decided, again, to get myself out of the safe zone to um, 
work with different teachers and different course teams. So one of them is A, we're going to put all of our grade 10 courses in this flexible learning space. So you're wrapping your mind around the idea that we're not going to have as much whole group time. And what we want to evolve towards is students are going to determine what they're going to do in that section of that period. So we got a 75 minute class, mm -hmm. there, there's an initial piece, and there needs to be a multi-layered sort of curriculum that you're working through, maybe a unit, maybe independent study, maybe other things. And students are going to be determining, A, our group is ready to present to Mr. Schellenberg, or B, this person's ready to do this sort of task. I need to silently read my book. You need to sort of collaborate with that person over there. And so it's really sort of figuring out how do we leverage that flexible learning space and be flexible in how we design our classes. So that's definitely one little piece that um, one of our teams is sort of, I don't know, wrapping our minds around. Um, another thing that we're doing is uh, a couple years ago, I don't know if you've heard of the TLLP, Teacher Learning and Leadership Program. Yep. Amazing Ministry of Education, fantastic. Wish everybody could do it, but it's really two projects per year from each board. But after you've done it, you can do the Provincial Knowledge Exchange, which the nice thing about it is the vetting process is simply, if you've done the first thing, you can access you know, the resources and the funds, et cetera, for the second. So I think what our idea was, this would be our second time through, so last time it was, let's let anybody who want to have time within the school, release time to do their own collaborative inquiry within department, partnerships, whatever. And then B, we would also sort of do modern learning in terms of technology where we would run half day and full day sessions within the school. We pulled people, we fed people, we gave them time to actually work together. And so we had these great groups of about 10 to 12 people per session and they were amazing. Best, best thing we've ever done is working with teachers who are ready to do whatever learning they're ready to do, as opposed to forcing the masses to just do, you know, this just came down, it's prepackaged, all 90 of you are gonna do this at the same time. And I think that's probably a good lesson for what we kind of need to shift towards with our students. Maybe, Absolutely. Maybe hitting the groups that are ready and then hitting the other groups later on. So those are some things. There's, there's a ton more, but those are some of the things that we're looking at for next year. That's awesome. I started by saying thanks for, uh, for chatting with me. Dude, you've given me a whole lot, <laughs> a whole lot to think about. I, 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 I in some small way, um, I, I, I do really, I treasure the conversations that I have on this podcast because it's, it's, it's quite an addictive way to do professional learning. And when you can sort of bridge the gap between, um, let's say the 140 characters, which tends to be the initial seed point for me. So the Twitter posts. Yeah. When when you can springboard off that, like this is just this is gold for me to be able to have this conversation, and I love the fact that the the thing that I sort of observed in pieces that there's so much more there, so much more there to explore, and the shape of of your experience, I really appreciate it. And I know someone else is gonna be listening. They're gonna be like, "Wow, I had like no clue." Yeah, no, I I totally hear what you're saying, and I. I was excited to do this just because I knew that it would give me enthusiasm and interest going forward into September, but it, you've also forced me to sort of reflect on things and it, it helps sort of, you know, step back, reprioritize, but also give you that energy to go forward. So I, I really enjoyed having the discussion. Cool, man. So if, if someone were to reach out and want to connect with you, and, you know, could ask you a few questions, could be looking for, for some mentorship or some leadership. Where, where would you like to be found, sir? So I guess a couple of places would be Twitter at Mr. Underscore Schellenberg would be an, an easy place to start accessing me. People want to email Echo Mountain at Hotmail.com is also great. All right, sir. Thank you for spending time with me. I really, really appreciate it. 
My pleasure. I'm, I, I definitely know I have, I have, whenever I make it to, whenever I make it to season two, part of the plan is to reconnect. So I would, because I am familiar with TLLP um, frameworks, but that second layer I wasn't aware of. So I'd be, I'm going to be interested to see how that fleshes out for, for you for next year. I would love to talk about it. Cool, man. Well, have a fantastic, fantastic Monday and definitely um, have a fantastic summer, man. Enjoy yourself. You too, Chris. Thank you. And hopefully we'll connect once the school year starts. Definitely will. Take care. You too. Chasing Squirrels podcast can be found on Podbean and iTunes. If you want to have a conversation on the podcast, please reach out to me. Probably the best way to connect with me is on Twitter. So that would be at Chris J. Clough. I also blog a little bit on WordPress. Feel free to check in on some of those topics. And I really do appreciate the time you spent with the podcast. Thank you for listening and have a fantastic evening. Thank you.